In today's episode, we learn a lot. We learn more about Opie's incarceration, what happens when you're kicked out of Sam Crow and still breathing, and I learn about a medical condition I thought was only prevalent in preteen boys. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Sons of Anarchy. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on, like Sons of Anarchy, which I didn't watch till like four years after the latest episode aired on TV. And now I've watched it almost every year since, except for last year, which I was saving for this podcast. Today, we continue our binge of season one with episode five, Giving Back. Gemma's throwing a fundraiser, Bobby's in full Elvis mode, the club is protecting a whistleblower... And things heat up a bit when an old friend comes back to town. Let's go. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, there will be spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2014. There will also be adult language and situations. Trigger warnings aplenty. Use earbuds as needed. Shout out to the bonus binge squad of Alex and Katie for your own shout outs and access to bonus episodes like the Behind the Mic series. Join on patreon.com slash belated binge. Link in the show notes. As usual with Sons of Anarchy, I'm going to kick this thing off trying to introduce the episode as if it was a rom-com or something. Everyone shows and receives love in their own way. Some internalize and want to feel a connection without expressing much verbally. Some want to feel like your priority and don't want something else to come between or take you from them. Some joke, some cry. Some like intimate one-on-one private moments. And some jerk off right there in front of your face. (laughs) Let's jump into episode 5, Given Back. So we open in jail? This is new. Someone is getting their ass kicked and yelling for help, and it's kind of hard to make it out, but once you put it all together, the guy was jumped by some Asian dudes who were shouting about how Sam Crow can't protect him forever, so I guess we know what our problem for this episode is going to be, even if we don't know who this guy even is, and we know that the club's pool doesn't stop in charming, apparently, and in the last episode... They patched over a club in Indian Hills. They mentioned that there's a Vegas chapter going up there during all of that thing. Our boy Happy was there too, coming from Tacoma, which is in Washington. So we're a few episodes into the show, and we're starting to get a sense of how far this club actually reaches. And, spoiler alert, there's a hell of a lot more reach coming. Like, across a big-ass pond. The guy who's been protecting this random dude in jail is Otto. And if you're new to this show, you might be interested to learn that Otto is played by Kurt Sutter. If that name sounds familiar and you don't know why, he's the creator and showrunner of Sons of Anarchy. He's also married to Katie Seagal, who plays Gemma on this show. And while I'm spouting out just random fun facts about their family, Katie often sings the songs that we hear on the show, normally in those like closing montages. She's very, very talented. And one more, the Jax character was named Jax after Kurt and Katie's own son, Jackson. Back to the show and this guy in jail masturbating for some reason. That seems 
normal, and isn't an awkward transition at all. Now we cut to some familiar faces and tattoos. Jackson Opie, shirtless, grabbing a pack of, like a pack-and-play, um, out of Opie's shed. Jax wants to buy it. Opie doesn't want his money. Jax pays Donna instead because he knows they're in trouble financially, and she makes the rules, but they are too good of friends to ask him for money, even if they are hard up. Uh, also, check this style. <laughs> this is straight out of 2008, 2009-ish, right? Baggy jeans, boxers showing. You weren't wondering, but I let this look go way too long in my own life. To this day, I keep some of these old jeans in a drawer somewhere in this house. Maybe I think the look's coming back, or maybe I just expect to get fat and don't want to buy bigger pants. I don't know, but I've got them when I'm ready. Opie knows Jax is going to give Donna the money. Either way, he he knows his boy. And the scene continues to the delight of viewers who dig guys everywhere. Jax is cut as all hell shirtless and stout Opie in the California sun. What, you know... What is What more could you ask for if that's your cup of tea? I can say that I really appreciate this scene, though. Not because they're... Sh well, kind of because they're shirtless. I really like this first season in particular for moments exactly like this. This is just normal life shit. You can drive into any neighborhood in America and see this kind of thing playing out. Real people have a shed full of junk. They let their friends borrow their old baby stuff. And yeah, they walk around shirtless on a hot summer day. I know we need the action. We need the bullets. We need things to go boom. We need drama. We need all of that shit. But I connect with a scene like this because it reminds me of like so many days I've had in my life that are just kind of like this. They're talking about a little festival thing that Jack's mom, Jax's Mom, I still have a hard time saying Jax's, like the X with a S, Jax's. It's it's hard for me. So if you hear me say Jax, as in like the thing Jack's mom, that it's just because I I'm having a hard time with Jax's. Anyway, Jax's mom started, uh, and Opie is apparently doing the fireworks for this particular get together type of thing. Donna's already suspicious, and Opie has to clarify it's not a club thing. And it's kind of continuing the tension between Donna, Opie, and the club. And that's where we're headed next. Gemma setting up for this fundraiser thing. She's approached by a woman we've not seen before. Name's April. She's coming to ask Gemma if her son's dad can come watch him play music at the event. And this seems to be a touchy topic, but we don't know why yet. But it's clear it has to do something with the club. She says her her son doesn't understand why his dad can't come see him do anything around town, and Gemma agrees, um, kind of reluctantly, but agrees to talk to Clay. And we'll get more on that in a bit. First, we have Jax and Clay visiting Otto in prison. Good timing. Otto's setting up protection for his friend that he just saved from an Asian ass beating in the opening scene, and they're talking in this code, and it's a really silly code. Uh, Otto vouches for him, and 
that's good enough for the boys. And he warns him about a nervous tick kind of thing. And Clay brushes this off, and Otto just starts laughing. And you know that Otto, in his own twisted way, is just imagining the first time that this dude, his name's Chucky, by the way. I don't even know if they've said that in the episode already or not, but his name's Chucky. Uh, he's imagining the first time Chucky is going to just start jerking off in front of the club, and how exactly that's going to go. <laughs> uh, he better hope this dude pays well or they might just cut off a particular appendage. Back to Gemma. But now she's a TM. I don't know, maybe she can apparate. If you're not listening to the Harry Potter binge and not familiar with Harry Potter, that joke is not going to make any sense for you. Sorry. Her and Clay are chatting about the fundraiser. She brings up April's request, and Clay's expression turns cold immediately. She asks if Kyle, the guy, apparently, the dad, can come watch his kid play in the band at the festival. Clay lets the audience know that this guy is excommunicated from the club, and apparently is the reason Opie went to prison. This is kind of a cool moment. We've been following Opie's struggle with the club and Donna and getting his footing after prison and all of that stuff, and part of that struggle has been Clay. Clay hasn't been soft on him. He's questioned Opie himself. If he resents the club and all of that, but when it comes to the reason Opie went in, this Kyle guy, Clay's reaction is visceral. It's personal. He got rid of that dude as a punishment for what happened to Opie. And even now, five years later, he still makes sure that dude doesn't show his face around town and is just pissed about the idea of letting him come back for any reason. But it's Gemma, who's persistent, as usual, and he agrees to take it to the club for a vote. Now we cut to Jax, who's reading a book to his kid in the hospital. And this might be, like, first normal one-on-one -on -one dad type of thing that we've seen from Jax on the show so far. He's gone to see his kid, but usually Gemma's there, or he's talking to Tara, or checking up on Wendy. This is just him and his boy. For now. An unexpected visitor arrives to watch him, and we recognize him as Agent Cone from the ATF. This is a dumb move from this dude, right? He's been tracking the club for pretty much the whole season so far. Just to put himself in a completely visible, vulnerable, clearly only there to watch Jack's kind of position? You've just given yourself away. You've lost the element of stealth. It's gone. Of course... This guy's motives are nowhere near above board, so he's likely not thinking like a federal agent in this moment. He's thinking a bit more delusional. And this is where my promise to not have too many deliberate spoilers gets really difficult for me. Um, if this was, you know, like the Potter binge, for instance, we'd stop here and we'd talk about Cone a lot. His motivations, his mindset, why he made this choice. Did he want Jax to see him? Did he think that was somehow the best way to accomplish his goal? Or is that goal and that motivation 
What's clouding his judgment and allowing himself to make silly mistakes like this? Is it even Jax that brought him here? Or is he here for another reason? Is this about the club? Or is it personal? Either way, there's no scenario that Jax is going to notice some random dude watching him read a book to his newborn and... There's no conceivable way this goes down that doesn't involve Jax confronting this dude. None. And the way he does it is kind of great. He says, Can I help you? But his tone is very much, Fuck you looking at? <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of this old Dane Cook stand-up, where he tells a story about a man on a train who, or maybe it was a bus, bus or a train, who like sneezed at him. And his response was, God bless you. But he said it in a way that said, cover your fucking mouth. This is the Jax Teller version of that joke, which I suggest you look up from the Vicious Circle stand-up, I, I think is what it was called, because me simply reciting it here doesn't do it justice. Now we're at the table. Justice for Chucky, as it were. We get some backstory that Chucky was apparently an accountant for the Asian mob, and now that he's getting out of prison, someone named Henry Lin is going to be trying to get a hold of him, and we assume kill him. The club's going to protect him and get him out of town in exchange for half of whatever money he apparently took from Lin. And this scene is all about planning. Until it isn't. Clay waits till the end. And he brings up April's request to let this guy Kyle come see his kid at the fundraiser. Camera close up on Opie and Jax. Jax is immediately against it. We assume in protection or support of his best friend Opie. Even Tig comes in here and says no fucking way. Which, go Tig. I've mentioned before I'm not a fan of Tig as a character... But right here, I'm a fan of his response, and that I can only assume is half supportive of Opie, but likely the other half is just club business. The club, votus, uh, the club voted this dude out, and that's that. He's dead to them, and he stays away if he doesn't want to be dead to everyone else. Tig isn't a founding member of this club, but he's clearly older than Jax and Opie in that generation. He's climbed high enough to be sergeant-at-arms and sit at Clay's right-hand side. So he's been around the block more than a few times, and he's going to have an old-school mentality in a lot of ways. Clay calls for the vote, and Opie speaks up, says let him come, in this like real stoic way that Opie can get. And Jax's reaction in his face just says everything. It's like, are, are you sure about this, brother? But what he says is, are you serious? <laughs> and Clay warns Opie that it can't be about getting even at the school. And Opie suggests that he just wants to see the guy who's lost his club and his family. See how downtrodden he must be. Maybe it would help Opie's mental health. Tig and Piney are still against it. But it passes with a majority vote. Kyle can come. But Jax is put on protection duty. Mission critical. Keep Kyle away from Opie. 
And now we're cutting to the next day, with Chucky being released from prison. Comically, he sees an Asian dude pull up in a van and just panics. But it's just a vendor of what appears to be dry cleaning? Who just happens to pull up to a prison to drop it off? To someone? Forced tension and comedic moment, perhaps? I'm going to go with yeah on that one. But now we hear the Harleys coming to save the day. Tig and Bobby are escorting a van with Jax and Clay in the back. Chucky immediately starts jerking off after shaking their hands, and it's just... It's so... awkward. Imagine being Jax and Clay in this moment. Otto said he had a nervous tick. Probably could have given a little bit of an explanation, maybe a little context here, Otto little bit more descriptive warning and now opening credits <laughs> and then fundraiser Kyle shows up with a super young girlfriend and April is already pissed he's got a nice truck and this is already off to a rough start and Bobby is in full Elvis attire by the way which does lighten the lighten the tension a bit Brings up the mood. Gemma's giving him shit immediately for being late. And now he's apparently helping kids look like Elvis too. And you know what? Good on you, Bobby. This shit's just fun. Uh, Q, Opie, and Donna showing up in their beat-up ass old truck. And Donna immediately asks about Kyle. Opie sees the downtrodden, clubless piece of shit isn't so down on his luck and donna's only interested in how kyle got out of the club clearly opie didn't tell her he says so much to Jax, and Jax sends him on his way and Jax is playing his role uh, but he makes sure to stop and have a word with our ex-club friend he warns him to stay away watch his kid play get back in his little cage which is a term that bikers use for four-wheel vehicles cars trucks what have you uh, i didn't google it but i believe this is a play on the freedom of being on a motorcycle and not being caged in uh, that's how i've always interpreted that particular expression um, i don't use it a ton myself to be honest with you you didn't ask but just throwing it out there maybe i'll adopt that one one day and start start weaving in cage more often Anyway, as Jax is walking away, Kyle stops him. And this is where shit gets weird. He tries to offer the club a job, apparently moving some stolen parts or something, and Jax isn't having it. And by that I mean, he slams him up against a wall. But Gemma catches his eye from like a hundred yards away, so he backs off. I guess? Super mom vision? I don't know. Cut back to TM. Chuck is saying thank you to everyone, and he's back to, well, jerking off. And he doesn't stop talking. He's just talking shit and playing with his dick. And for a minute, we're acting like this is okay. Until Clay just stops and asks, like, what's the deal, dude? Like, what's going on? And Chuck explains it as compulsive masturbation disorder. Piney gets a classic joke in, but Chuck swears it's a real thing. This one I did Google, and it is in fact a real thing. 
Compulsive masturbation disorder, also referred to as masturbation addiction, is a sexual addiction where someone is driven to excessively masturbate. Thanks, Google. Couldn't have put that one together for myself. But hey, we're always learning on this podcast. Clay makes it clear there will be no more jerking off, and we get our second I accept that from Chucky. And if you're wondering if that's going to be his little catchphrase, the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Hopefully you accept that. Now we get a scene on Tara at the hospital. She appears to have just gotten out of a surgery, and she sees Cone in the waiting room. And she's completely shocked, and obviously pissed, and probably terrified. He tells her he's there on business, tracking the Sons of Anarchy. This is the guy. This is the guy she has a restraining order against. So this is why he's really here, isn't it? Back to the fundraiser. Bobby is hilarious. Opie's trying to bond with his daughter, and she's not really into it. Opie's struggling here. He's been locked up for five years. He thought this fundraiser is going to be a chance to like connect with his family again. And he sees the guy responsible for his incarceration having just a good old time, and he's dealing with turmoil in his own life. You can easily see why he's having a hard time here. Donna can see it, and so can Gemma and Jax. So now we get a little heart-to-heart between the boys. You get the sense that Opie doesn't talk much to anyone, except maybe Jax. He admits his struggles and explains more about how important the club is to him and how hard it's been with that conflicting with the rest of his life. It's cool to see this shit. Like I said earlier, this is what normal life looks like between two best friends. Cuts or no cuts. This little bro moment is interrupted, but it's gold while it's happening. Uh, And it's interrupted by the reveal that Kyle has a tattoo that looks like theirs. And clearly... This struck a nerve, and we're going to see why in a second. But I want to talk about that tattoo a little bit. It's the same as the back of their cuts. It matches the three-piece patch that the club wears. Jax has it. Opie has it. And now this guy Kyle does. And it makes me wonder something. As the show goes on, we see more of these guys shirtless. A lot of these guys shirtless. Uh, At least, and I, I don't remember... Uh, I don't I don't remember any of the other members that have this same tattoo. They all have club tattoos, but I don't remember anyone with this one aside from these three. And what that makes me think is I bet Kyle is about the same age as Jackson Opie. And I bet they came in in a similar time. I would bet they were close. They probably all got this version of the tattoo in, like, solidarity, a union. I bet that makes Kyle's betrayal sting even worse for these two. Especially Opie. They were probably supposed to be the next generation of Sam Crow together. And one did something bad enough to land another in prison and get himself kicked out of the club. For good. It's gotta be tough. And so is the look on Opie's face when he goes to confront Kyle about that tattoo. And Jax lets him do it. Apparently this tat thing is bad enough to make his other mission of keeping these two apart just 
go away. And Opie follows Kyle into the gym, and we get a sense of how this is going to go. He waits for his kid to leave because Opie's not a piece of shit, and Kyle tries to explain himself a little bit as Opie is, you know, losing the rings, which is biker code for I'm about to punch you in the face, uh, which is exactly what happens. Opie's probably been holding this one back for about five years, and I bet it felt good to get it out. Not for Kyle, though. As Opie's, you know, kicking the shit out of Kyle, Jax seeks out Donna. (laughs) And this conversation's actually really important. After a really good joke about Opie's kid knowing how to handle a gun, it's clear that these two have a rapport between the two of them as well. It's the wife of his best friend. They probably spent a lot of time together for years. A lot of family barbecues. Jack's probably crashed on their couch. And then they get right into it. And Jax explains that he's concerned about his best friend. Sam Crow isn't something you can be half-ass, in and out, just a you know hobbyist part of. He warns her that it's going to get Opie killed. And she wants him out and brings up Kyle. Jax finally explains to her why Kyle was kicked out, and why her husband went to prison. And he goes deeper. He explains that Opie isn't going to be able to walk away from Sam Crow, but Donna trying to pull him away is going to continue Opie just going down his current path of dangerous misery. But the hook at the end is the key here. He tells Donna that Sam Crow is not the glue, not for Opie. Donna is, and her reaction's perfect in this moment. She doesn't have anything to say. The recognition in her eyes says it all. And keying in on Jax here a bit. Sure, we needed this exposition and Donna needed this explanation, but Jax's motivation is important. You truly get the sense that he's not talking to her like this, on behalf of the club, he's doing it on behalf of his best friend, and his own concern and worry, and frankly, fear for his best friend is, it's kind of awesome. And now Jax walks in all cool on Opie and Kyle cleaning themselves up after their little scuffle. Apparently Kyle at least got a decent lick in at some point in time to make Opie's lip bleed, uh, and also Opie needed to take his shirt off at some point probably because it's California. Probably 100 degrees, and he's always in all black and long sleeves and multiple layers, and that's the that's the part of the show. Side rant, here we go. That part of the show never s- sat right with me. These dudes would wear jeans. Yes. Some people ride in shorts, but most people want at least a layer of denim between them and the pavement if shit goes wrong, and these dudes would wear leather. The cuts, specifically. That's absolutely normal and expected. But the hoodies, the layers, the flannel, and at a later point, they even wear their full leather jacket underneath their cut and all this shit in the middle of the day, in the blazing California sun. That's not happening. (laughs) Opie going leather jacket, leather cut, black beanie, when it's 100 degrees outside is not what would be a thing. (laughs) Maybe if this club was based out of Canada, 
that's how they would dress. But they're not. They're in Southern California. This is insanity. Anyways, Theo Rossi and Kim Coates had the Reaper Reviews podcast, and they said that they had days filming where people would literally pass out from heat exhaustion. That's what happens in real life when you dress like this in 100 degree weather. T-shirts, y'all. T-shirts. Tank tops even. Cutoffs. Pretty sure that was the point of the cut originally anyways. The jacket was so hot they had to cut the sleeves off it. Sorry. Rant over. A little heart to heart. After the fight, and Kyle admits to how much he misses the club. And these two didn't rehearse this, but now Jax is hearing about the, the stolen parts thing for Kyle. And Opie suggests that they take it to Clay. And Jax pushes some, you know, some urgency. Let's do it tonight. And Kyle's all over it. Opie reminds him about his kid's band, and this dude doesn't give a shit. What a dick. And Opie's heard exactly what he needs to hear. Not only is this guy a piece of shit, he's also a shit dad. And now we're at the auto shop with Clay, who's trying to find the keys and some paperwork for some lady with a plum Volvo. Of course, that's what she would be driving. And this is just a way to stall and set up the drama that we needed with Chucky jacking off in front of a customer. Apparently, she didn't need her plum Volvo. She had a nicer ride in the parking lot already, and Clay spots the Chinese people that are staking out TM and puts the money retrieval plan in motion early. Bobby and Tig get the call and let Gemma know that they have to leave the festival thing and she's not very happy about it and Unser checks in with her just as she clocks Tara walking up. Gemma's got an eagle eye vision apparently, particularly in this episode, because she sees Tara, notices her, notices her reaction to seeing Cone, watches Tara leave in a hurry, and knows exactly why. Immediately asks Unser who the dude is, and he tells her. And then Tig and Bobby come to retrieve Jax, and they're not sure why they're leaving Opie and Kyle alone, but we get confirmation that there's something in play we're supposed to be surprised by later, which is why he's really vague about it. And Jax sees the same guy. The same guy Gemma learned about, like, five seconds ago, just in time to be able to tell Jax who this person is. And now she's on lookout duty. She should be good at it, with how great her eyesight is, apparently. Cut to the money retrieval plan. They're in a Chinese restaurant, who all know Chucky. The lady wants him gone. He takes him to where he hid the money, so now Jax is beating a hole in the ceiling? Which is an interesting, uh, look, but apparently that's where the money is, and the lady's still bitching at him, and we get this funny, like, I accept that from Clay who pays the lady and she changes her tune. Now the confrontation outside can begin. Our boy's in the van. Jax tries to run through the car and the van doesn't have enough ass. Now the guns are out and the shooting begins. The van conveniently won't start and we think our boys are screwed. Just as Clay figures out that the money is fake and what these guys really want are the plates to keep printing fake money. The plan just changed. Chucky led them astray. 
and Clay sets up a meet with Lynn to negotiate. Lynn is awfully quick to offer up cash in this exchange, which is weird to me. Clay has no leverage. Aside from avoiding a shootout, Lynn has no reason to give him anything. They've got the manpower, the high ground, and resources. They could literally just kill our biker friends, take the plates, and end this series super early. But, because Sam Crow's the biggest, baddest bully on the block, or so we're supposed to believe, he's willing to pay Clay for the plates that are within his grasp either way. They give up the plates and Chucky to Lynn for some cash, and now we're on our way. Jax doesn't feel real good about it, but he's not going to step in. Clay made lemons out of a shit sandwich. Here is shitty as that is for Chucky, and also the the van starts now, so that's cool too. We've just got lots of plot, I guess. Back at the clubhouse, and Kyle is here. Doesn't exactly get a warm welcome. Opie takes off, and Jax wants to double check that he's okay with what's going on with Kyle. And he tips his hand too. They'd rather be dead than be that guy. And so would I in a few minutes. Well, the character, obviously. The actor probably got a nice little payday for what happens next, so I'd take that over death for sure. Goes without saying, but I said it anyway. Now we're at the festival again, and the band is starting to play. In April, can't find Kyle, who's supposed to be there to see his kid play. Gemma goes to ask Opie where he is. And he's at the clubhouse, as we can see, and the plan goes in motion. Kyle's getting shit-faced, which is honestly an act of humanity from the club before this all plays out. Jax initiates the plan to lure him into the garage where things heat up a bit. Too corny? Maybe. Leave it in the episode? Yep. Before we get to you know, do the thing, Bobby has stayed in his Elvis costume this whole time. Fucking great. At the festival, Gemma's getting caught up to speed from Opie on what's happening at the clubhouse. And now we're seeing exactly that. Kyle's surrounded. Jax makes him take off his shirt. Bobby and Tig help him take off his shirt. Not gently and it reveals the tattoo and everyone is pissed kyle knows why this is clearly some kind of code or agreement of some sort and he's apologizing and he's begging at the same time and this is where the exposition begins he was supposed to black out this ink and he says he tried but he just couldn't do it and this is apparently serious shit and part of being kicked out of the club. You're not a member anymore, so you can't have a tattoo that says you are. It needs to be covered up, blacked out. He didn't do it. Clay's response? Fire or knife. Chills. After some last-ditch hope for another resolution and begging at Jax, again, more hints that Jax and Opie were his boys when he came into the club... He's the one that he hopes is still going to have mercy. He doesn't. 
Nobody else in the club does either. He picks fire. Jax does provide an olive branch. It's a bottle of alcohol. They tie him up, and Tig burns the tattoo off his back. It's gruesome, visually. At the festival, Gemma informs April that she should go to the hospital. She knows it's not good, and it's about Kyle. Gemma offers to take her kids home after the festival and apologizes. And you gotta feel for this family, right? See, we're on the side of Sam Crow on this whole ride, but the ex-wife, this dude's kids, they don't know what's going on. What he did, didn't do, rules he broke. April may not even know why he was kicked out. And his kids surely don't. But they're just wondering why he's not around. Why he's not watching his son play music. And now, why they have to go get him from the hospital. Or at least April. And Opie gets to have a moment with his family as he's shooting off the fireworks for the festival. Just as one family's being torn apart, his is finally starting to come back together. This is what he wanted when he said that Kyle could come back. This is not how he thought he was going to get it. And all this is kind of happening in montage, half-sacks realizing how serious it is to be a part of this club that he's a prospect for. What's going through half-sacks' mind right now? He's signing up for this potential fate if things go sideways. Gemma is feeling guilt for her part in bringing Kyle back for this. And the episode ends with Kyle being pulled out of a van at the hospital and April running over to him. And Half-Sack is back at TM, cleaning up the mess. Jax is on the roof, reading, reflecting. Reflecting on the day. Reflecting on Sam Crow. This episode's a good one for me. For a lot of what I've said or alluded to already, I love how this show balances these real-life moments with just full-on carnage of the club. It's consistently giving us comedic timing, boys being boys, strong family and friendship, love, along with absolutely just brutal shit. And I love Opie's arc on this episode. He starts off hopeful about the festival and family time, and hopeful that seeing Kyle is going to make him appreciate his family and his life even more than he already does. And it goes sideways, like seemingly everything has for him. He struggles. He admits that he's struggling. He's angry. And then he still comes around to clarity. And what he'd hoped for in the beginning. He knows he wants to be Sam Crow. And he wants his family too. And by the end of this episode, he's getting that. At least, you know, for now, it's Opie's happy ending. And honestly, I'm cherishing that for him right now. I'd forgotten how Opie heavy these early episodes were. They're really setting up his character for the rest of the series. And I obviously remember what happens in these episodes, but dissecting them in this way makes me look closer. Really see how much was focused on developing him. Opie and Jax, the future of Sam Crow. That's where we're headed. Right? If only. Before we get out of here, 
we're going to rewrite Sons of Anarchy one small change to each episode at a time. I'm going to pose a question. You can tell me what the impact would be on the episode and the wider story. For this episode, what if Kyle had blacked out that tattoo like he was supposed to? Let's see what that does to our story. I'll share the question on social media. You can follow at Belated Binge across TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. There's also an exclusive Facebook group for listeners of this podcast. It is free. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. The best responses to this question will be included in a future episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Rebinging Sons of Anarchy, go ahead and give me a follow. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening on right now. I'd also welcome you to check out the other binges that are happening on the channel of The Office and the Harry Potter books. They're all right here on the same feed. You can visit belatedbinge.com to find links to all of the socials, Patreon. Uh, You can leave a voicemail with your own thoughts as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. And remember, life is short. Buy the motorcycle. When you do, wear a helmet, dress for the slide, not the ride, and make sure you're taking belated binge along for that ride.